Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Amen. I want you to turn back to Isaiah 59, just to recoup for a moment, teaching on intercession. I can't repeat everything. I shouldn't repeat everything I said in the last few weeks, of course. But remember, I want us to differentiate between prayer in and of itself, intercession in and of itself, and what it means to actually find yourself in the position of being an intercessor. Like I said, everybody can intercede. Everybody's called to pray. Every child of God hopefully knows by now that we do draw forth strength. Paul said very simply and very clearly in Ephesians, you draw forth strength from your communion with God. No communion with God, no strength to walk out this life. Hallelujah. So thank God we all should and need to be people of prayer. And as God leads us and you mature, often you find yourself in a position where you for lack of a better term, do become like prayer warriors. In other words, it's something that you begin to enjoy because you begin to see some of the fruit of it. And then in the midst of being part of prayer meetings, uh, you'll hear again the phrase intercession, like I said, and you can intercede and you'll find yourself interceding. And I just want to keep harp on this for a while, like I said, over the, I'm going to be speaking on this for several weeks. But remember the basic word, for intercede in the New Testament means to go before a king in behalf of another. And so I want you to hear that again. Like I mentioned last week, it means to stand between God and man or to stand between heaven and earth. The issue is to be between. Like I said before, the basic priestly ministry is the underlying foundation of all intercessory prayer. Priests were called to stand before God, before they could stand between the earth and man and his problems. So we learn, and what really begins to take place in intercession is you begin to get in the way. That's actually one of the meanings of the word as well, to get in the way of. And this is why when you're in prayer, you can get in the way of what the devil's trying to do to somebody in your family's life. Hallelujah. You can actually get in the way and stop it. You can break the power of something that's trying to, you know, take your children, trying to take your marriage, trying to take your business, whatever. And you, But you learn these things. But again, it's all progressive like anything. You know, you've heard me say many times, we quote the scriptures, God's going to take us from strength to strength. Scripture says he wants to take you from faith to faith. It says he wants to take you from glory to glory, that everything's progressive that we're in this life now and we're growing by levels. I have no idea what level you're at, but we do grow as long as we're persistent and we stay with God. We find ourselves moving up level by level by level. And again, when you first start out in the things of God, you don't even know there are other levels. I always use this basic illustration, like if you're in school or in college, let's say you're in your third year of school in one particular major, you can always recognize somebody that's in their second year of school by the textbooks they carry. Do you understand? Is that right? You know what I mean? In other words, you can remember when I was in this year, this level. Oh, yeah, those were the books I was studying. But when you were there studying those books, you didn't know these other books existed yet. And so what begins to happen is you, as you mature in Christ, you begin to recognize 
where you've learned something that others don't have yet. And when that happens, it's a crucial moment in the Christian life because you can either, because you, well, you better not be proud because that's the one thing hell wants to do. He wants you to kind of go, hey, check, check them out. They're still studying that stuff. I remember, you know, I had that stuff 15 years ago. Or you can go, wow, isn't that great? And you can watch somebody and say, yeah, I remember when I was there. And I remember how I didn't even know this existed. And then what becomes good is because then you realize, hmm, when I was in second level, I didn't know even third existed. Hmm. And I'm looking at them, and they don't even know what I know. I wonder who's looking at me right now that's in another level, higher than me, and saying, look at that kid. Oh, bless his darling dumb heart for what he knows thus far. You know what I mean? Anyhow, so let me read this. Like I said, when I, I want you to give, I'm not, I have to, I don't know how to say this without it sounding pompous, but I, I really need you to give me the benefit of the doubt because the intercessory prayers is what I, my whole life started with, and I could, I could preach on it for, you know, I could, you know, I could easily, we could talk about this for six months. There's so many different avenues to touch. But right now, I'm going to go back to Isaiah 59, and I just want to, as God brings some things to me, I want to speak to him. The very first few words of Isaiah 59, just to remind you, is when it said this. It said, behold, if you, if you guys back wherever you're at behind me, in front of me, Isaiah 59, verse 1 again. This is where the Lord says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened at all, that it cannot save, nor his ear, dull with deafness that it cannot hear. And I stopped when we started that last week, and I said, this is where you have to start. You have to believe that this is true. Well, you don't have to, but you need to believe. The issue is not whether or not God can't do something. Listen, all things really are possible to them who believe. All things. But a prophecy, here's 2,000 years before Christ, actually 1,000 years before Christ, Isaiah's prophesying this, and he says, the Lord's hand is not shortened at all that it cannot save, neither is his ear dull with deafness that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, verse 2, your iniquities have made a separation, separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, in this new covenant we have right now, on this side of Calvary, hallelujah, it is absolutely the truth, love covers a multitude of sin. The grace of God is phenomenal towards us in that our sins have been swallowed up in the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ to the degree that we can stand here today and look anybody in the face and with, with all humility say, I have right standing with Almighty God right now by virtue of my faith in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Everybody needs to be able to say that without any hesitation. I am the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. I really am the righteousness of God through, because of my faith in Christ Jesus and what he did for me. But I wanted to read this afresh because I don't want you to think that, see, God, to say the least, has covered a multitude of our sin. But I don't want any of you to think by any, any means that God ignores sin. In other words, this is where people have to be aware. This is where the grace of God is so strong. The revelation of the grace of God is what empowers you to say no to the attraction to sin. But, you know, some of us, get they do get into sloppy agape, you know, greasy grace like they call it. People think, well, the love of God is covered. I'm on this side of Calvary. Hallelujah. All my sin is forgiven so I can just boogie on down Main Street. You know what I mean? But that's not it at all. Uh, and the importance of it. And I want to read this classic verse, Isaiah Excuse me, Job 22, 
This is Job 22, the very last verse. And this is one of the privileges of intercession. Now, Job is the oldest book in Scripture. It's the oldest book in the Bible. And even in here, it's amazing when I'm... I, I, I love Job, really. I mean, there's so many... I just... Let me read... Oh. Nah. <laughs> Sorry, I back all the way up. Let's just read Job 22.30. Job 22.30, yeah, they've got it up there. Now, let's listen to this verse. He will even deliver the one for whom you intercede, who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. Now, that's, that's a very, very heavy moving into the this side of Jesus part of Calvary statement to come to this man thousands of years ago where he's looking into the future and he's talking about the depth of what will happen when we actually make the decision to walk clean before our God, to walk clean before our God. He will even deliver the one for whom you intercede who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered. How? Through the cleanness of my hands. Now, I wanted to throw that in here as we begin to walk this journey again because I want you to understand. I don't want you just, some people do get kind of caught off in this thing. Well, the love of God covers the multitude of sin. I can just, like I said, move on down the street. Of course, of course, the more you follow after the God, the more you find yourself being free from anything that would, create separation. I mean, once you do taste of God, I mean, you know, once you do taste of God, really taste of God, you know what isn't God. Everything about God is glorious, and if I dare use the word shiny, (laughs) it's perfection. The cleanness the preciseness. Trust me, our God is precise. The incredible aroma, the fragrance that is of Jesus Christ is something that once our our nostrils have experienced it, you simply know what it isn't. And so you, you push away been any aroma that would take away from the scent of God himself at work in you. I, I always, I remember, I've only experienced that actual happening once. Julie, do you remember? When we were teaching in Cookham Dean and uh, in, outside of Marlowe when we lived out there, and I was just teaching. And, you know, God, in, in the ministry of a teacher, you've heard me say many times, often, you know, the Holy Spirit does things while you're speaking more than after you have spoken. And I, be, I was teaching, I don't even remember what, something about teaching about Jesus Christ. And suddenly people begin to go, they, all these people are going, <laughs> oh, my God, what's happening? And they were shocked. They said, what is, what, what, what is that? What is and they started looking around the room and what have you, and they said, we smell roses. We smell 
the strongest scent of roses we've ever smelled in our life. Do you remember now what I'm talking about when Minnie was there and all of them? Anyhow, long story short, and like three or four people that were there that were suffering from ailments were healed in the midst of this thing because it was literally a visitation of the Rose of Sharon. I mean, Jesus manifested himself in that aroma. And all I'm trying to say is, once you know what something is, you know what something isn't. Once you know what real love is, you know what real love isn't. This is why all you single people, find out what real love is. Please, do yourself a gigantic favor. Find out what real love is. Find out what real worship is. Really, find out what real, real separation is. So that you can begin to carry it with you. Because otherwise we're just playing some game. And I don't, do not, I just, I would, I would hate to think that whatever years I have left before God on this planet, that I've played them out like some game. I want my life, I want your life to mean something. I really do. Not me, I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but I want your life to mean something. So when this prophet says, the Lord's ear, the Lord's arm rather isn't, isn't weakened that it cannot heal. The Lord's ears are not dull of hearing. But there's a separation that's been created by yourself. Let's just make sure we get that clear. Let's just make sure, no matter what else we do, that we do take part of this. And Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. We come boldly because of the blood. I have no righteousness of my own. None whatsoever. My righteousness really as, as filthy rags. But hallelujah, here I am because of the grace of God. And I stand today because of the grace of God. Whatever I have, whatever I am today, it's by the grace of God. But in Jesus' name, I want to live worth it. I want to be worth it. I want what Jesus did to be worth it. I always think of those last scenes of that Tom... Uh, never mind. The film, I forget. What is the name of that war film, World War II, where, what's his name, Tom Hanks plays this guy that's... The what? Yeah, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, friends of my old men that I knew that had gone through World War II said it was the most realistic of any film they ever saw in the first part of it, you know, all the killing and what have you as they landed on the beaches on D-Day. And the whole story about this guy fights through this, fights through that, I mean, blah, 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 all over the place, death here, death there. And if you get to the end of the movie and there's this guy, he finally founds the guy you know, whose four, other four brothers had died. The whole film is this guy's going after one guy because the government sent him to find this one guy because in those days during war, if there were several members, several men of one same family in war, and if several of them died, they would pull out the last brother uh, to send him back to America because they, you know, they didn't want the family or the mother or the father to be having grieved the loss of every single one of their children. But the incredible dramatic effect of this, he, he gets to the end, and if, I don't know if you remember the end of the whole thing, he's sitting there, and boom, 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 you know, he's crossed with these Nazis coming, and finally he's shot like 14 or 15 times at the end. Uh, you know, a tank is coming at him, and he's shooting at the blades with a, with a pistol. 
and he's about to die. And the guy that he saved, the people that he was sent to save, all these other guys that died saving this one guy, he comes up and he tries to grab Hanks, and Hanks is dying in his last words. He looks at him and he says, earn it. Earn it. And he dies. In other words, he's saying all of the, all, he's, all these people that have died, everything has happened so that you might live. Earn it. And then they show the picture. You know, it really shook me. And then at the end of the picture, you know, they show this guy who's now an old man. And he's in this graveyard with his wife, with his children and their kids. And he's at this grave. Look at me. I'm sniveling. I'm starting to snivel already. I get all emotional. I'm a big sissy at heart. But he's an old man, and he's looking at this, and he's looking at the grave of this guy who went through all this hell and saved him and said, earn it. And he's crying, and he looks at his wife, and he said, honey, am I a good man? Have I been a good man? In other words, all the price that was paid, he was trying to say, have I been, have I been worth all that's been spent, all the stuff that's happened? Am I worth all these other lives? Have I been a good man? And I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but see, that's what this comes down to. We want to be good men, good women. And we've got to have us, we've got to carry the sense of this so deeply carved into our heart. Like I said, not just something learned with the mind. Because it's only when you begin to walk with this, I guarantee you that your prayers do begin to avail much. I'm telling you, Julie quoted the prayers of a righteous man. The prayers of a righteous man. So I'm just saying before we go any further with this, you know, don't think that God just casually ignores your sin. Just shut it out of your life. Understand that hell's, I mean, that, you know, heaven has paid an incredible price in defeating hell for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't care how, I don't care what church, I mean, we're one of these old English churches. I love looking at these pictures of Christ behind us. I don't know what he looks like, but I, I, I just, God help me never, ever forget, you know, the cross. But remember, see, when we talk about prayer, that's just it. I, I don't want us just idly come in and learn some New Testament scriptures about it, pray with all manner of prayer. We'll go through all of that stuff at some point. But what's the use of doing that if you don't have the heart right in the first place? Do you know what I'm trying to say? I just want you, I want you to understand that God answers people when they're gut level real with it. You know what I mean? When it's, it comes from your gut. It's the earnest, it's the effectual righteous prayer of a, you know, it, I, in the Amphite, remember, it's the heartfelt prayer. And I always stopped there all those years ago. It's the heartfelt prayer that avails much, not the mind learned. It's that thing that's felt so deep that you, you can't escape it. And I'm just saying, the more you walk with God, that's what will begin to happen. At times, you will be offered the opportunity. I guarantee you. You will be offered, if you do love the Lord Jesus, you will be offered the opportunity to be an intercessor. But you need to know what the Bible looks like, what, the, what an intercessor looks like in the Bible. Okay? So first and foremost, like I said, Jesus Christ came as our intercessor. And that's what we learn here in Isaiah 59 again. And let's jump all the way back down to verse 16. I mean, again, I could go through the whole bit about it. Well, verse 4 in Isaiah 59 says, None 
sues. Like you sue somebody in court. No one sues or calls in righteousness. And I, want, I just really, really think on that. Study that more and more. God's saying that, you know, there's nobody that's standing up in behalf of truth. Verse 15 again, or verse 14 said, Justice is turned away backward. Righteousness and right standing with God stands far off. For truth has fallen in the street. And again, that was so that so impacted me all those many years ago. Because I know that God's word says truth will make you free. And it struck me that, you know, the truth was here. But it wasn't making anybody free. Because truth has to be upheld. Truth has to be upheld. And the way we uphold it is by having it in our heart and in our mouth. That's where, again, we quoted last week that verse from Job. You decree and you declare a thing that it might be established. And that whole Hebrew idiom there speaks of something that's been laying prostrate that is suddenly made to stand up and be erect. The truth has to be held up. Anyhow, okay. I, I said I don't want to go all the way through last week. Truth had fallen in the street, and uprightness cannot enter the courts of justice. Verse 15, yes, truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And the Lord saw this, and it displeased him that there was no justice. And I want to make sure you keep that in your thinking, too. All true prayer has to do with justice from God's definition being established. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? It means what's just? What has the blood of Christ paid for? What is just in the eyes of God? And what's unjust? Then we have this verse 16 again. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. No one to intervene on behalf of truth and right. Therefore, his own arm brought him victory. And his own righteousness, having the spirit without measure, sustained him. Speaking to the coming of Jesus Christ. I, I quoted those words again last week. And I just wanted to give you the actual Hebrew word, the word for wondered. It's, it's spelled in the English S-H-A-M-E-M, like Shemim. <clears throat> and it literally means to be stupefied, astonishment, stunned, devastated. So God looked. He saw everything that was going on. Truth had fallen on the street. There was no justice. Everything was going to hell. Everything was haywire. And God was stupefied, astonished, stunned, devastated, that there wasn't one person. And again, the singular aspect of the truth of intercession is something that you cannot, um, well, you, you, you cannot allow to go unseen because it's what's so important. All through Scripture, you know, Ezekiel 22, we'll go there later, not maybe this morning, it, it talks about God's thought for a man to stand in the gap to build up the hedge. Jeremiah 1, Jeremiah 5, rather, God sought a man Isaiah, another place, 22, he sought one man. You know, the Bible says in the word of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Throughout Scripture, therefore, there's a pattern where God begins to say something incredibly heavy that one person can make a difference in an entire nation. And I tell you, the books are full 
I've got books on prayer that are full stories. Two, one of my two favorite books on earth are from Gordon Lindsay, Prayers That, prayers that Changed the World, Volume 1 and Volume 2, where all of these excerpts of prayers of, jo of George Washington during the Revolutionary War in America, Abraham Lincoln, uh, what's the guy's name that ministered to the Indians? I forget his name. But I mean, all over the earth, people who prayed and how one man's prayer changed an entire continent. I mean, just, it's still, it's, it's got, if it's not true, it shouldn't be in the book still today. Hallelujah. So not a whole lot of people have come to, as it were, this level possibly. And that's not an indictment. I'm just saying because it takes another degree of commitment. There's a lot of things I could read here. But anyhow, he saw that there was no man. He wondered. He was stupefied, astonished, devastated that there was no intercessor, no one to intervene on behalf of truth. Now, the word for intercessor there in the Hebrew is a word paga, P-A-G-A. It means, quote, to impinge, to fall upon with violence, to fall upon to destroy. And why that's interesting is because you have to understand in the beginning when it comes to actual intercession, real intercession will always have an element of aggression with it. In other words, it's not some passive little, oh, Lord Jesus, please come bless Io. We love Io. Emmanuel loves Io. And we love Io. That's not intercession. Okay. But again, this is why you have to understand other things first before you really get used in intercession because intercession requires godly humility because any of the gifts of the Spirit in particular, let's say the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, anything that is vocal can be manipulated. And um, uh, Sheila minister, uh, spoke of that part in Sydney's book on people being wacky. The thing is, some people think just because you get loud, that means you're in intercession. There's nothing to do with it. This is why so many people stop going to so many prayer meetings because inevitably there's always one person that thinks they have to show how holy they are by showing how many decibels they can reach. You know what I mean? How loud they can become. You can't, real intercession, you don't turn on and turn off. Um, God does. But there is a high, it's a higher level of stuff. It carries with it a different impetus. Something happens. There's a strength about it. There's, there's an, uh, as it were, almost an anger about it. It's the same stuff that you saw in Jesus when he went into the temple and overthrew the, the, the tables and the money changers. There was a righteous anger on him. And this is what happens when something begins to tap your heart and you go beyond just praying for these people. There's something where you find sometimes you have to separate yourself from other people because you got to get alone because the times I know, like I said, God's used me maybe I would possibly three times as the intercessor in a situation. And I know that I would say over 90% of my prayers had to be by myself because say it, you say you don't if you don't want to, but I guarantee you when you're in a prayer group, uh, it can mess you up. What I mean is you can be aware of what, oh, Mike, what are other people going to think? You know, because sometimes when actual intercession happens, like I said, it gets really vocal. It gets, it can get really loud and it can get really crazy. I'm going to give examples of that later. I'm going to have Bobby get up and scream for everybody. And she'll show you. No, not really. 
But here in Isaiah 59, 16, now, we cannot... See, I'm having problems because I want to jump ahead to so much stuff. You, you, we can't not see the significance of what is said in verse 16, 17, and 18. He says, let me read the whole verse again in context. God saw, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor, no one to intervene on behalf of truth and right. Therefore, his own arm, he's, this means Jesus, the word arm always means strength. Therefore, his own arm brought him victory and his own righteousness, having the spirit without measure, sustained him. For the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord put on righteousness as a breastplate or a coat of mail and salvation as a helmet upon his head. He put on, now this is the garment of an intercessor because Jesus came as the intercessor. He put on garments of vengeance. This is where somebody sees something isn't just. This is not the justice of God. I want this turned around. I want to see God's justice in this matter. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and it was clad with zeal, with furious divine jealousy as a cloak. And I just mentioned last week, again, there's, in this word, it speaks about, again, this aggression, this thing that comes on you and speaks here about furious. This is something Jesus wore when he came. Furious, divine, jealousy. And he was without sin. There was a fury on him when he saw things that didn't line up with what he knew his father's will was. And that's something, again, that can attach itself to you. But you have to learn how to wear that well. And then it says in verse 18, According as their deeds deserve, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies on foreign islands and coastlands. He will make compensation. And then verse 19, I finished with last week. So as the result of the Messiah's intervention... They shall reverently fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in, and like I said, you need to put a comma right there at the word I-N, because that's how it is in the Hebrew. I know we've misquoted this, like I said, for years. When the enemy shall come in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him and put this enemy to flight, for he will come like a rushing stream which the breath of the Lord drives. Hallelujah. But again, in the first of night, verse 19, it says, so as the result of the Messiah's intervention. And as I said, when I first started studying this all the years ago, God had me stop, read that 27 some times before I finally caught it. He said, who is the Messiah? I said, well, he's Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And he finally got to me to where I'd said, well, he's the intercessor. He said, so read it again. And I read it like this. So as the result of the intercessor's intervention. And again, it was so strong to me back then because, again, always in church life, you hear about people praying that, well, one, we're going to need divine intervention for this thing to happen, for this to change, for London to change. We're going to need divine intervention. And he said, am I in you or not? Yes. Do you possibly consider me as divine Yes. He said, I'm not, it's not about me coming down and intervening. He said, it's about the me that's in you finally rising up 
learning how to say no to this stuff in the realm of the spirit and learning how to say yes to my will, how to legislate in the realm of the spirit. That's the phrase. You learn how to legislate in the realm of the spirit. You learn how to legislate. So as a result of the intercessor's intervention, people will begin to fear the name of the In other words, reverence for God will begin to be established. The glory of God will begin to be seen. Now, we'll visit this much later as well. But like I said, you can't read that verse without reading the armor of God because you've got to go to Ephesians 6 because that's what this is all about. But it says Jesus, it lists the fact in Isaiah, these garments that Jesus came with. And again, I don't know, we sometimes let this become... Again, sometimes you hear stuff so much, you lose the value of it. I don't, or you don't, you forget to keep it as strong as it needs to be kept. It's like, you know, when you fall in love with your wife, you really make, and you really make it your business to let her know how much you love her when you're courting her and you want her to marry you. But you get married, and after a while... You're sitting down, you're watching TV. Hey, is there any food in the house? I've never done that because I'm holy. But it's true in anything. This is why, guys, we have to keep revisiting the things of God because you and I are like leaking vessels, Hebrews says. This stuff leaks out of us, and somehow we don't let it mean as much to us as it really should mean. So when Paul, the guy caught up into the third heaven in that body, out of the body, he knew not, when he says this stuff in Ephesians 6, 10, as he's concluding this pastoral, this uh, pastoral epistle, in conclusion, Ephesians 6, 10, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord Be empowered through your union with him. Right? Right? you got to have a revelation. Christ in me. you got to practice this stuff, man. If you're a musician, you bless God better practice your instruments or you're going to be mediocre. You better practice your voice. You better practice your study. Like I tell people all the time, would you want pastor that only picked up his Bible once a week on Saturday night at midnight. Hopefully you wouldn't. Seriously, would you? You know what I mean? You know, I don't, this is why hopefully we have musicians that are learning more and more and more and more and more. It's not all about a Thursday night rehearsal and a Sunday get up in front of somebody. If that's the case for some of them, they will be weeded out by virtue of the others who will be added to us. Trust me, that's just the way it works. Because we're looking for people that are sincere, that actually want to worship. Worship, the word means to kiss. To actually fall in love with their gifting and understand that it's from heaven itself. I better handle it well. I know I have a teaching gift, and I know it isn't me, so I can't pat me on the back for something gave me. I know that some of you have incredible gifts, but you don't take your identity from your gifting. You take your identity from from Christ in him. But I say that over and again because we have to. So we have to keep going back to this. We draw 
our strength. We're empowered through our union with him. You don't know what that means? You need to find out. Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor. Right? See, now don't turn off right now. Some of you are tempted to, I know. Oh, God. Ephesians 6. It's your loss. Put on God's whole armor. And, of course, again, you study this out. If you study down in a good Bible school, you'll find out there's a weird, there's a weird, you know, probably weird too. There's a word there that comes from the Latin word. It's panoply. P-A-N-O-P-O-Y. Panoply. Panoply means the strong, heavy armor of a front-line combatant. It's the strong, heavy armor of the front line combatant, the panoply of God. Put on God's armor, the armor of a heavy armed soldier, which who supplies? God does. So all you have to do is accept it, but you've got to go to where it's given out. You've got to present yourself. Before the one that holds all the, before the person, before the king who holds all these weapons. But God's, put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy armed soldier, which God supplies. I mean, what, how many times do you read? That you may be able, do you hear it? That you may be able successfully to stand up against what? the strategies and the deceits the devil. Now, is that in the Bible or not? Is it really? I mean, it's in the Bible. So, wake up a little bit of your head. It says the devil has strategies. Consider that for a while. Think about what a strategy is. Think about the fact that hell wants you broke, morose, defeated, unloved, rejected. He does not want you to experience the fullness of joy or the abundance of life that Jesus Christ came to give. That's just how he is. That's the work of the devil. There is a devil. I said there is a devil. And he has strategies. I don't care how many times I've taught on this. You need to think about it. So what strategy has always worked wonderfully to find you in a trap? What's that thing that always causes you to blow it? What's that, you know, that one area? You know, the one area, the word you use is weakness. I, 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 I have a weakness in that area. See, what, you and, what you've been calling a weakness is actually a demonic stronghold. You have to call it what it is 
before you'll rise up and fight it. I used to use the old illustration, you know, about, like I said, the first time I went to France, and I was asked when I first came to this nation, I'd never been to Europe. I'd never been to anything, any place like that. I was a country boy in California, and I come over here, meet all these posh folk, and one of my first students was a woman from the south of France, and she was going to marry this guy from Scotland, and they flew me over to the south of France, to the French Riviera, to, um, to do this wedding, just to be there for three days. I'd never been to France before. I always remember it's November. I remember the day, November 26th. I'm standing on the French Riviera there at Cannes. I mean, I don't know why. There's nobody on the beach but me. I was just standing there, water lapping up, listening to it. Nobody else was there. You got to understand, from coming out of prison for years and living in the country, as it were, what have you, and I'm standing here at this place I've only ever, ever, ever seen in movies. I remember looking up, and I just remember looking up and said, God, you do work miracles. You do work miracles. They said I'd spend the rest of my life in the penitentiary. And I just had a little, my own little glory moment. You know what I mean? Standing there listening to this water. But anyhow, this guy made the mistake of taking me down. I, 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 one day I'm going to go and try to find again. He made this mistake of taking us off and taking us to a true French patisserie. And he bought me a almond croissant that was a real almond croissant. I've since learned my years in England that English patisseries do not know what an almond croissant is. And I bit into this thing, and suddenly I had a taste of heaven. Everything faded away into the glory of what my taste buds were celebrating. I felt like, you know, those Ice Age movies, that little squirrel thing chasing that little... Hmm. And from that point forward, you know, I come back here, years later, every time I saw uh, a, a really good, if I saw something, you know, like an almond croissant, the opportunity to have an almond croissant, I said, you know, I want one of those. And I would say, because I, I got a weakness for those, man. I got a weakness for those. Until I heard this message taught by somebody else all those years ago when he said, what you're calling a weakness is actually a demonic stronghold. And he said, the way you need to change that is this. Next time you're like at a party, a stand-up party, which I found myself at once. Julie and I were at the House of Lords or some, doing one of those things in Parliament because Julie is praying in Parliament all the time. And they had all these little nice little things step out there. And I always remember... This guy uh, uh, offering me this cream, something, something, or other. And I said these words. I said, oh, thank you. I've got a weakness for one of those. And the moment I said it, then I said, I took it back and I said out loud, I mean, I have a demonic stronghold for that. And this person went, pardon me? And suddenly I had room to eat anything I wanted. But what I'm trying to say by that, if you be, you know, instead of saying it's a weakness, if you begin to label it what it is, you'll find yourself going, I mean, it's embarrassing in a group of people and you're looking at something and they say, yeah, I got a demonic stronghold for that. You'll have space to work. Let's put it this way. Hallelujah. Hell has a strategy against you. A plan, a military laid out, structured 
group of turns to get you to follow. And once he finds that he can get you to do this every time, basically he's got your life. You don't experience fullness. I said you will not experience fullness. You can fool everybody else. But remember, the real you is the you that you are when you're all alone. I said the real you is the you that you are when you're all alone and ain't nobody around you to see what you're looking at, to see what you're reading, to see what you're thinking on, to see what you're messing with on your computer. You are not alone if you're in Christ. And that's when... I don't want anybody condemned, but that's where you learn to allow conviction and a desire and attraction for God to weigh more heavily in your life than that stupid satanic strategy. But I'm telling you, I, get, I don't want to, because I'm already over time. I'm just saying this. I want you to recognize, ask yourself, ask God. And most of you, you don't even have to pray, most of you, let's be honest, to know what, quote, unquote, that strategy might be. Where you, I always say Satan's a good fisherman. You know, he doesn't have to change bait if you keep biting on the same bait. But deal with that because this is what all this is about. He said he wants you, God wants every one of us to be able to stand up successfully against these strategies and these wiles. And the way that you find yourself being successful is by doing this stuff, by being empowered through your union with him, through drawing your strength from him. Let me read that now and keep on going. He says, for verse 12, says, for we are not, and you got to hear this, some of the stuff is, like I said, it's not that it's, it's not that cherry pie is a demon. <laughs> or an almond croissant or whatever, or a computer. It's not that you have to, if, listen, if you got a lust problem, you can throw every TV in the trash you want. You can throw every computer. You can throw every book. But if you got an evil lust type problem, it's not about the appliance that you use it for. It's already it's in your heart. You'll create something to be nasty with. Nasty, nasty, nasty. <laughs> Until you have to have some men come around and knock it out of you. But he says, for we're not wrestling. Now, again, think about it. He's really saying this because it's really the truth. Whether you like it or not, we are in a spiritual situation. It's a spiritual. This is why I don't, there is spiritual warfare. I don't care how many theologians say there's no such thing. And the reason they say it is because so many people have idiotically presented it. But there is. It is spiritual Everything that manifests in the flesh begins in the spirit. I've said it over and over again. He said, for we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but we are wrestling. Say wrestle. We are wrestling against the despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits, who are the world rulers of this present darkness against the spirit forces of wickedness that are in the heavenly, the supernatural sphere. 
Again, myself in Bible college, we had six months where we were taught on these four levels. I forget the name for it, but the four levels here of satanic work. And there's four different levels. This stuff is real. We'll talk about some of it on another Sunday. But he says, guys, Paul says, the guy who went to heaven come back, we're not just, it's not just Jews. See, my problem isn't just Kenny. I don't have a problem with Kenny, but you know what I'm trying to say. Well, sometimes I have a problem with Kenny, but I love him too. No. But you know, the issue is I have to learn to look past the personality to see the person or to see the spirit that's trying to work through a well-meaning person sometimes. All of us have been used by the wrong spirit sometimes. This is why God forgive us all. But anyhow, let's go to the cure, verse 13. But he repeats himself, just like he said in verse 11. Verse 13 says, Therefore, put on God's complete armor. Not some of it. Therefore, put on God's complete armor. Why? I mean, what's the next part say? It says that you may be able to resist. Now, what's what's that mean? What's the opposite of that mean? Evidently, it means if you don't have on God's full armor, you just simply may not be able to stand against and resist what's coming. So if things are going to hell and back in your life right now, ask yourself, what you're not wearing. I mean, I know you've heard this teaching 150,000 times maybe, but the first place you ever look is your love life. You, you begin to look, am I walking in love? Is there strife in my heart? What have you? And you begin to back these things off that you know are things that are incredibly offensive to the spirit of truth and the spirit of grace. And you check yourself out, like going to an MOT, they say, all that kind of stuff. But it says, therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And there are evil days of danger that come to all of us. And then it says, and having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place, verse 14, stand, therefore, hold your ground, tighten the belt of truth around your loins. Now, the reason that's so important is because that's where the armor hung from. That's where the breastplate was attached to, that belt of truth. The belt is truth. No weapons work if they're not connected to truth, if they don't come from truth. And around your loins, where life comes from, you're to have this incredible, huge belt of truth, God's truth. Not what I think is truth, what God calls truth. And having, he says, have your loins, have your, excuse me, have tightened the belt of truth around your loins and having put on the breastplate of integrity or righteousness, covering your heart, the revelation of right standing with God. Verse 15, and having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy With the firm-footed stability. See, I don't know. I just have to keep stopping. I'm sorry because I'm, I'm having my own little party up here. Uh, I, the Word of God is so deep. It's so powerful. And when it begins to resonate, it is like an incredibly fine-tuned stringed instrument. I mean, how just 
perfect, that perfect harmony, even like on a harp when you hear somebody, this, the frequency, this something that just, my God, it's perfect, it's perfection. And, and you begin to see what, what, in other words, what this stuff is, just where you walk through it. This is what Dr. Cho did all those years ago with why his church became, you know, the biggest church on the planet. Every single morning, he said, I just run my track. Remember, he went through the Father, the, the, the Lord's Prayer, and he went through this just every morning. Thank you, Father, you know, for the, for the, for the belt of truth. In Jesus' name, I'm going to let truth, your truth, be my life. I want your right standing to protect my heart. I don't care what the devil throws at me, what flaming arrow tries to come at me and tell me I'm not worthy. Tell me I'm not accepted. Just tell me I'm not forgiven. I'm going to let them all bounce off the fact that I have on my chest the breastplate of right standing with God by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ. But he says again, let me read verse 15. And having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness and the readiness that's produced by the good news of the gospel of peace, lifting up over everything else, the covering shield of saving faith upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation. What's a helmet cover? What's a helmet cover? Your mind, your head. Anybody in here ever had squirrely thoughts? Of course. My God. You say you didn't, you're a liar. I mean, you know, you do. That saved me so much much, so much energy once many years ago when I first caught this. My mind was going crazy. And, you know, see, God's ways are so simple sometimes, but we want to complicate them because we want them to, oh, I don't know, be bigger so that when we do it, we feel better about ourselves. And I was going through hell and back with my thoughts when they were shaking my head like that. And he told me to go back. He said, go back to Ephesians 6. And he said, what's that say? And he said, put your helmet on. I said, okay. But he said, what's that helmet called? And I said, well, it's called a helmet of salvation. He said, yeah. He said, are you saved? And I said, yeah. He said, say so. So I just, that's it. it was just like that. I said, I'm saved. Thoughts, I'm going, I'm saved. And because of my weird sense of humor, I'm saved. And I know that I am, I'm saved. And I, I just started, I'm saved. But the funny thing is, the silliness of that stopped all the bad thoughts. And I just began to crack up because, pray, you know, praise happens. All kinds of things happen when you follow God. And everything else shuts up because we have so many more good weapons that hell has bad weapons. But we, sadly, as the body of Christ, give Satan too much credit. Our God is so flipping huge. There is nothing. But, I mean, you really have to, you have to live like that. There's nothing. How You have to wind up living with the attitude, how dare you come against me with this? How dare you come against me with this credit? Are you kidding me? I serve the most high God. I may not ever understand on this side of heaven why I'm going through this particular trial. I may not ever understand on this side of heaven why these things are happening. But one thing I do know, one thing is this, I've already made my decision. I follow Jesus Christ of Nazareth. My life is in his hands. 
and I will forever be his son, and I will forever be his child. And stuff just starts to fall away. You just begin to realize nothing else makes that much difference. So you lift up over all the covering shield of saving faith, upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one, and you take the helmet of salvation. And of course, I got to stop here. This wonderful area. And he says, you learn how to take the sword. And this is why this amplifies good here. And take the sword which the Spirit wields, which is the rhema of God. And pray. Put all of that armor on to obey verse 18. It's all prayer armor. It's all prayer armor. You put it all on, it says, and then you pray. You can pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the Spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. Take the sword of the Spirit. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Rhema. Which is the Rhema. I, I can't go. I, I want to go there now, but I don't want to because of time. Come on up, worship team. Father, we give you thanks this morning again. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.